welcome back to the Music Education and Technology Podcast with Chris Russell and Paul Shimmons. Hey, Paul, why don't you say hi to everybody? Good morning, afternoon, hello, I don't know wherever you are. Good to be back. It's been we a while. Have, yeah, we have been out of sync for quite a while. Uh, if you look, our last podcast was in November, and two things for sure happened between then and now. Um, obviously, we had, well, actually three. We both had holiday or winter concerts in December. And then we started our middle school musical in January, which took up most of my time after school. We, Paul and I tend to record our interviews with guests right after the school day. And he's in Michigan, so a little bit later. But, you know, that early afternoon after we're done with school, and that time was gone for me. And then after we were done, Paul, then you guys did something, which was? Yeah, we started our musical um, about the end of February. And like you, yeah, that was after school re- rehearsals with, uh, I was in charge of the pit orchestra, of course, since I'm the instrumental guy here. And yeah, after school rehearsals kind of took up my time, <laughs> along with my normal teaching schedule. And then you reach, you know, your your end of the year. And in our case, we are opening a brand new building in the fall. Uh, the school itself is moving. Most of the staff is going. There's a couple people leaving and a couple of people coming in because we're going to be larger. They're changing the boundaries in our district. So a lot of my time then was spent boxing all of our music library and, and doing everything else. And we just basically ran out of time since November to now. So it is currently, the, the date today is June 9th as we record this intro. And the interview you're going to hear later in this podcast is with Don Crafton, who is the creator of Sight Reading Factory. And that was recorded back in the end of May. So Paul and I haven't even had a chance to get together. And here it is on a Saturday morning where we're recording with you. So we, we like to do an intro before we do the, the actual interview. Well, I suppose we could just publish the interview. But it just I, I like the part where we get a chance to connect just you and I, Paul, and talk about the things that were going on in our lives and what we're doing with technology and what's been happening. It's always good to chat. And actually, that was recorded the beginning of May, so we have been very busy. <laughs> was it really the beginning of May? Yeah, like May 4th. Oh, man. it Time just flies. <laughs> so, Chris, you are moving into a new building, leaving the old one and moving to a new room and everything. Yeah, um, the, the entire building. And we just took a tour of it yesterday. It's really funny. It, they, the construct, you know, if you ever build a building, and I've now, this is my second new building in my career. I, the first building I bid to intentionally to get to a new building. Um, and then a few years ago, five years ago, I switched to this school uh, for three main reasons. Um, one was it was a little bit of a rocky situation with an administration and uh, one of my fellow teachers. And I was I hate a little scary of that, so I got out of there with that. And then this school also um, was going one-to-one iPad. And then, of course, being a high school teacher is very different than being a middle school teacher. Um, at the high school, I always use this example. Um, I had just, my son was just six months old when we started the fall musical in September. And we performed that year in December. We did uh, White Christmas, and I didn't see my my family, basically, for that three to four month period at all. And so middle school seemed like, you know what, this yeah. seems like a good time to change. Um, although there had been a lot of change in my middle school and I should have been more aware of that before I, I went there. It's been a, it's been a tough job. And I, I blog about that uh, in my most recent blog post uh, about the challenges that I've faced there. But anyway, um, somewhere it, it is also the oldest building in the district by far. And I think some parts of it go back to 1920. Oh my goodness. And 
Yeah, and so what they decided to do is uh, they passed a referendum a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, and to build a new middle school that would be much larger. So we're going from about 650 kids to 900, and then eventually, um, I think a potential load of, of up to 1,500 or even 2,000 um, as the communities continue to grow, and um, decided to build a new building. So inadvertently, I went from a brand new high school where I was at for four years after being in the district for 12 years before that, and then just went to the oldest school in the district, and then suddenly I'll be in the newest building in the district. So we're hoping that the new building changes some things, the new boundaries change some things. Um, we have a new administrator. We're hoping that she is able to institute her vision. And uh, we're also doing some other initiatives like uh, prod, uh, PBIS, the Positive Behavior Intervention System. We're hoping that all those things work together to make it a better place for all teachers and all students. So that's kind of what we're doing. It's going to be an exciting new year for you. It's going to be exciting and it's going to be challenging. We're not sure what, what all to expect yet. So, you know. Were you able to give input into the design of your music area? Yes and no. Most of the decision when we built the previous school, we had intensive uh, roles as even part of a planning team. And I was involved with the planning team on this one. But the previous building was built from the bottom up. Teachers stated what they want, and then they designed it around what the teachers said. To be honest, this time around, it was top-down. Administration... And like at the very highest levels in our district, made most of the decisions, and then only small ones uh, came down for for teachers to choose. So there was some feedback about the music suite. I didn't, however, really fight that situation. Uh, some of my other colleagues really fought for space, uh, cubic footage uh, design, and I just I kind of let them fight the fight this time and just kind of took what fell if that makes sense so um just sure. a little different approach in the past but as i get older i'm finding that i i would rather not be fighting the battle i'd rather just be supporting other people yeah you know what i mean <laughs> I, oh i do i do we did a renovation here if, um geez it's been like 12 years ago now and um i learned a few things after doing that one that if i ever do another new building I'm going to fight for a few things, but I uh, like most of what we got. Yeah, so that's coming up in the fall. Um, I was going to ask you, Paul, what, you know, um, you, you talked about your musical. I know that we, we just talked briefly before we started recording, and I, one of the questions I have for you is what, and you can ask me too, but what did you do different with technology this year? And we'll, we'll actually talk about technology as a whole in a minute, but you had one area that you really did something different with technology. When we decided to do this musical, um, we were, you know, obviously tossed around the idea of, of a few different choices. And the one that we finally landed on involved an entire pit orchestra, like strings, violins, uh, everything, which our school here does not have any kind of string program at all. And I could have gone down to the local university, it's not that far away, and tried hiring some students to come up and play those parts, but trying to figure out schedules and honestly, we don't even have the money to, to hire somebody like that. I've known for a while that Notion has the end, temp end tempo feature and I decided to be brave and go for it. So our musical was performed as a joint 
um, group of live musicians playing like trombone, trumpet, um, clarinet, flute, oboe, bassoon, and, and percussion. And then all the string parts were performed off from Notion. And I conducted, so to say, those string parts from Notion because you tap along on the MIDI keyboard, or even you could do it on the computer keyboard, but the MIDI keyboard was a little bit quieter and it seemed to work better. And uh, But that allowed us to adjust tempos to what was going on on stage and to take repeats and such. And it performed pretty darn well. I was, I was very happy, very happy. Audience liked it too. So even from their viewpoint, they, they seemed to enjoy it. So that was my big venture of the year. Have you ever tried that end tempo feature, Chris? I have not done it in a live setting. And partly because, you know, when I'm doing a concert, my main tool is my iPad. You know, I, I don't have a, a MacBook with us. But um, the, the end tempo does one of two things. You can do like what you're talking about, which is live control of a, you know, of a performance, which I'll, I have one other question for you in a second. I'll try to remember it. And then the other thing that end tempo can do is you can actually record a tempo and play it at that tempo too. So I've done that with a song where, you know, you've got a goofy, like a Rolandondo that you can't time automatically with Notion's own Rolandondo. Well, you can record yourself, you know, you, you kind of set the rhythm in the end tempo track, and you can record yourself tapping the quarter note or the eighth note in that measure. Um, so it slows down as you need it to slow down. So you can have input on that. So I've used end tempo in that regard, but not in the way that you're doing it. Um, the question I have for you is this, is did you make then one ginormous file for the whole musical or did you make multiple files that you opened during the performance? Um, yeah, I found using my MacBook, I have a 2017 MacBook, one of the ones with the touch bar on it. And um, I found some of the limitations of Notion in, in my hardware. <laughs> Um, let's see, I was going to see, I have 16 gigabytes of RAM, so it, it's a pretty well decked out MacBook, but I did the entire first act as one entire file, and then the entire second act as another file, and um, with violin one, violin two, viola, uh, cello, bass, and then I put in like English horn and some weird parts that like the flute parts or some of the flute parts and cornet parts, my people just couldn't play and um, put in timpani in there as well. And I started to find the limitations once I got down to the end of doing everything. Um, I couldn't add very many more parts without it freaking out. Okay. <laughs> it started to take a really long time to, to, to do some of those things. Now to be fair, our, the entire production was like two hours, two and a half hours. And so each of those files was remarkably long. And for a huge file like that, I'd say that was more than what I expected it to be able to handle. So, but yeah, I thought about doing each individual song, but some of those songs you move back and forth between pretty quick. And I didn't have to, I didn't want to have to wait for my computer to open files. It, I mean, it's pretty quick, but still. And uh, it was much easier, like when we when we uh, were rehearsing, because with end tempo end tempo open, I only had two files to juggle between, 
and I put in re rehearsal marks, and it was easy to find each section. Now, it, it took a long time to get that music in there, though. I mean, it's, and I did, I did part of that with um, Sheet Music Scanner and Notate Me with the PhotoScore plugin, and those worked remarkably well. And then um, I also did a fair amount with live input from a keyboard. And um, I even did a good chunk of it on just my iPad. Like the first act, the violin, one, two, the viola, and the in this uh, cello and space parts, about three quarters of the first act were all edited on my iPad. Worked out well. And I don't know why. I just, I, after that, I switched over to the, to the, um, to the MacBook, I guess because I had so many more parts building up. Uh, and um, I don't know, is it, I mean, it, using the MacBook, MacBook might have been a little bit faster, but it was definitely doable on my, on my iPad. I did find out I have the first generation, the, the first generation of the 12-inch iPad and my iPhone 10. And when I was scanning files, I've always found it easier just to use my iPhone. And for some reason, one night, I don't know if I didn't have my phone or I don't know why, but I just started using my iPad. My iPhone 10 is a whole lot faster. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, my iPad, that 12 inch, that first gen is only a few years old, but man, the processor in the iPhone 10, woo. I went right back to it. I think it's like, yeah, I think it's like two generations faster because I think the iPad processor is usually one year behind the iPhone. Yeah. And I knew the camera was better and such, but holy smokes, the speed, it wasn't, it wasn't worth it to do it with my iPad. I mean, the iPad did it, but after doing it with iPhone 10 and you knowing how fast you could do it, <laughs> I didn't want to go that slow. Now, with the score you were using, what was the font? Was it a traditional music font or was it the Broadway music font? Ooh, I don't mess around with fonts. So whatever Notion has as, as, as the uh, default. So it wasn't anything Broadway. It wasn't anything special. Oh, no, I'm, t I'm talking about the the music you were scanning. Oh, yeah. Um, it was just pretty, it was pretty tr traditional. It wasn't anything, it wasn't like handwritten. Okay, you know how like a lot of those jazz scores too yeah. kind of have that jazz. A lot of the Broadway stuff uses a similar like handwritten font. I was wondering how it did with with the, the font like that. Yeah, I don't think it was anything special. Now, now you got me wondering. <laughs> Okay, so that that was your big new technology thing this year, right? It was about the only thing. How about you? There's a couple things that I've done differently. Um, as I blogged about, we've we've integrated ukulele into what I do in an attempt to make what I'm doing more relevant to students who really don't want to be in a choir. Um, not all, but a good percentage. And um, so there's some things that I've done differently. First of all, our school went all Schoology as a learning management system or a classroom management system. I don't like using classroom management because it doesn't do anything with behaviors. But um, <laughs> right, well, yeah, that's I what, mean, what a mis misnamed product. Yeah, I, <laughs> you're telling me. Um, although I'm thinking about some things for next year, but we'll, uh, that's another thing next year after it works or doesn't work. But anyway, so with Schoology, when you go to the enterprise full version, they finally allow you to embed videos or they allow you to embed audio recordings right from Schoology. And they also um, open up the ability to grade those with a rubric. So um, much like a smart music light solution, 
I was able to have my students record parts of songs and to very quickly assess them using a rubric all within the framework of Schoology. And again, we're a one-to-one -one iPad school, and, and that worked incredibly well. And um, people always say, well, how do, how do you hear the individual student? When they have the microphone pointed at their face, you hear them. I mean, they, they are clear as a bell that it's them. Um, and if they are doing something else, you can actually hear the accompaniment or you can hear the other students around them quite clearly and them not at all. So when you assess them, that's that's pretty easy. So that's one thing. Um, do Wait you, a minute. Oh, yeah, go for it. So when you did the uh, re when the kids did the recording of the assessments, yep. were they in a full group setting yep. and they just held their iPad up to their face? Yep. And the same thing could be done with cell phones. So if you're in a school that allows cell phones, and we banned cell phones this year in our process of things that we did with our new principal, um, that works incredibly well because one of the complaints you always get in choir, not so much, I think, in band, but students that say, oh, I'm afraid to sing by myself. I'm afraid to sing in front of a teacher. I'm afraid to sing in a small group. Well, when everybody's singing and, and they're all singing for a grade and they know they're singing for a grade, you aren't singled out. You just sing what you have to sing from your normal spot, doing what you normally do. It works great. That's awesome. Yeah. So they didn't have to go back to a practice room. Nope. And you didn't have to cycle kids through back there and hope that they were paying attention and doing what they were supposed to be doing. Nope. And and then the other catch is I also assess rhythm counting and sight reading in the same way. So so that's been really good. Now, would something like, well, it, it'd be nice if something like Smart Music or as we talked with Sight Reading Factory, if Sight Reading Factory had an assessment piece embedded in it, which which it doesn't in that context, but like something that would listen for the student and for the primary voice in the midst of an ensemble would be kind of cool, but we're just not there yet. But that's, so that's one whole approach um, that I did this year. And the other thing that I've done a ton of is really focusing on my ukulele instruction. And then I've gotten caught into making resources for ukulele, uh, particularly video playlongs. And I had incredible success teaching ukulele this year. Um, and again, we do a concert in December and a concert in May, and we've got this big gap in the middle of the year. So I filled that with ukulele with the idea of building musical independence. Um, as a singer, I, I wrote about this too recently, but as a singer and a tuba player, I always needed other supports to do what I wanted to do in music. Um, yeah, there, right. there's some solo singing and some solo tuba stuff, but generally you sing as part of a larger group, or you have a piano, or you have somebody else playing for you. And as a tuba player, you're almost always um, with a piano, or a band, or an orchestra. But as a ukulele player, and as a singer, you have everything you need to play the music that you want to play. And so you also start to understand harmonic function. You may not know the details of it, but you start to understand that if you're on an F, that F chord is probably going to go to a G chord, and that G chord is probably going to go to a C chord if you're playing in a particular key like the key of C. So there's there's so much good stuff there in terms of building individual musicians and giving kids the freedom, particularly a lot who aren't going to be singing at the high school or college level. Um, the ability to play their own music and to learn their own music, and then to be able to use their music in instruction. So I have been using LumaFusion like crazy to make videos. And since about a year ago, I've made nearly 300 videos. 
Um, Holy smokes. Yeah, out of, out of pop songs and other songs. I just, I wish it would generate income. And now some other people are also making those videos. I'm, I'm copying somebody else's technique that I tweaked. And now there's a number of people along with me that are also making videos. And the library of songs we've been working on is now nearly 600 songs. For, oh my gosh. Yeah, so literally if you're going to teach ukulele at the middle school, high school, or even elementary level, there is a giant library of songs that you could literally study different songs every day, all year long in your school, and never repeat anything. So For a couple of years? Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah, and now, Grant, some people are making songs that aren't necessarily appropriate for a, a, a school setting, like... Um, the Camila Camila Caballo's um, uh, what was her song this this past year the uh, Havana her her song Havana there's a right. rap part in the middle where the it's just not appropriate for school well I've got a version of that without that middle rap part but a couple other teachers made a version of it that has the middle rap part and I don't think I would use that in any schools, even at the high school level. I don't think I would. Teachers it. made that with that middle section in there still. Yes. Wow. But you know, different people have different standards and what they're willing to put out there for their students kind of deal. Sure. So anyhow, using videos. Um, and I, one of the things I stand here in 2018 thinking that I've never thought before is um, we are going to have to make better use of video instruction because our students are keyed to it in a way that they're not keyed to live instruction, and we're going to have to learn how to leverage that. So that's that's a new belief of mine, and that might be true in even traditional band choir and orchestras, and it's going to be interesting to see how I can leverage that in years to come. So do you use that video instruction in class with the students? Yes. And you, do you feel like they pay attention for that length of that video better than if it was you doing it live? A thousand percent. Isn't that crazy? Even if it's me on the video talking. <laughs> right? I'm not it's joking. the same person. Oh, I know. I know. I've seen it in my classes too. So, in, in fact, last year I tried this a little bit with acapella. I made, I was going to miss for, for going to speaking at a convention. So I made a recording of the song where I played the melody and piano and I played the, the harmony on ukulele, and there was a soundtrack, and then I videotaped myself conducting um, at the same time, and I made an entire set of videos for my students to, to sing along with on that day. And the sub wrote back, and he, he subs for me frequently uh, if I'm gone, and he wrote back, he said, I've never seen the students more engaged in your classroom. So they were wow. following me when I wasn't there without arguing or distraction, but if I was there... It would be, you know, the normal battles of every day. So who knows? So I, I'm just, I think there's a whole new world for us to examine in this world of video instruction. And I think what we're missing as music educators is this, gen my own boys now that are six and 10, our 18 year old graduated. So um, he's, Congratulations. Yeah, <laughs> he made it. <laughs> That's all we're going to say. Um, but the six and 10 year old, they watch YouTube video after YouTube after YouTube video. And it's not that they don't play. It's not that they don't run outside. They do. But their downtime before they go to bed for a while is to sit and watch YouTube. And they are learning. That is their primary, you know, deal of, of absorbing, absorbing new concepts, new materials, new ideas. Now, they both read. They do those things, too. So it's not like they don't read. It's not like they don't play. 
but this entire generation is is bought into to video and we better do a better job of tying into that and in fact we may have to worry about that with our audiences as well if we're actually performing with the con with the concept of entertaining an audience i'm not sure if that's our primary goal as music educators but if it is we may have to think about adding more video into what we do with our audiences as well oh that's a heavy thought um i was in my band in my band room the one day and I have four practice rooms and some kid was back in the back playing piano and it was sounding pretty good. And I asked another student, I said, who's back there playing piano? And they said, it's your daughter, Mr. Shimmons. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? She isn't. And so I walked back and sure enough, here's my daughter. She's, um, well, she's going to be a senior now, but this time she was like a, uh, I don't know, a freshman or a sophomore. And she had sat downstairs on my keyboard with headphones on and her iPad with the YouTube video, and she learned how to play piano. And that's the same sort of thing that you can do with your ukulele oh, videos, absolutely. Too. I mean, that's where the majority of people under the age of 30 are learning ukulele right now, is they're going online to people like Cynthia Lynn or the ukulele teacher, and then they're finding videos like mine that aren't so... There's not many that are instructional, but most are like how to you know the show the chords of songs to play while you're playing a song and dealing with the real music that's the majority of the videos that i'm making um kids are learning that way i think it's there's a term isn't it like just in time education or something like that i don't know it sounds sounds or, good <laughs> i mean it's like they want to do this they want to do it now where's the resources and with it being online they can do it any place that they have a internet connection in a ukulele or a piano or whatever now Again, I'm not throwing stones at traditional bands, choirs, or orchestras. I love them. Um, I do. It's, it's a part of who I am. But we, again, we still have to step back and say those groups are probably at best meeting 20% of the population in your school, especially if you're teaching at the secondary level. And how can we then change music instruction to include more than 80%? And I think tying into video instruction, not replacing complete instruction. Now, one of the cool things about when a video is playing is I am able to roam the room. Um, so if they're playing the chords to a song, I'm able to roam the room. I can in, I can interact with students that need help. I can tune a ukulele if it's out of tune. That's a whole other piece that, that we did is I bought that Rody 2 tuner, which we'll talk about. Um, there's so much we can do when when we're freed from being in that center spot in the room. And that's that's a major shift too in education. I had a principal evaluate me once and he actually marked me down because I got off my podium. Really? He said, oh yeah, he says, never do that. But What? Oh yeah, I, I left that school. Um, but, you know, like doing what you said is you're doubling, you, you in effect now have two teachers in the room because you have one video going in front that the kids are paying attention to and now you can go around and do other things. Yeah, that's awesome. And let me throw out a suggestion for, for band in particular. You know, uh, Smart Music and Choir gets a little funky because the audio files that are with the new Smart Music are based on an adult choir singing the songs. And you probably don't want your choir to sound like an adult choir, right? I mean, yeah, that's... vocal ranges, too. Yeah, well, vocal ranges by the time, especially you get to high school, are, are going to be similar. But but the, the tone quality changes. Okay. Um, and it's it's... Quite honestly, it's unhealthy for a high school choir to sound like an adult 
you know, professional. It's just, that's, generally it's going to be an unhealthy situation. But in band, a tuba is always going to sound like a tuba. Right. You know, you never want a tuba not to sound like a tuba. So it may not sound like a very good tuba at the beginning, but you you instantly have, this is the mindset of what you're supposed to sound like, whereas the voice is very subject to proper uh, production for your age and your ability and all that considered. So anyhow, using this in a similar way, you could choose a song that's on smart music, right? Yep. And you could, as a teacher, start smart music up, you know, in your room with the embedded audio file, have your band play along with the recording and then give you the freedom to roam the room. I mean, that's another use of the same basic concept. Sure. And then work with some issues. So that, that would give you the chance to get off the podium. Um, it could give you a chance to pick up another instrument and go sit in a section. Oh, yeah. While you played that song. I mean, a whole bunch of things. So there's some real exciting possibilities there. But now this is something that you and I were talking about, Paul, before this, we started to hit record, is I use the word, and it sounds really mean, but... <laughs> It feels like music education is we're Luddites in a way, um, which is people that that fight against the the inclusion of technology, and we kind of, as a whole, hope that it just goes away and isn't going to bother us anymore because we have everything that we need. And our students are changing, and our audiences are changing, and the culture is changing, the finances of the world are changing. Um, there are, while there are thousands of community bands, choirs, and orchestras, so many professional orchestras and professional choirs and professional bands are disappearing because there's just not the financial support. We've got to change something. We want to make sure that what we do stays relevant in our culture, that people can still appreciate it, and appreciation is a huge part of it. But we need to address the fact, and you and I were talking we both haven't posted very much because there hasn't been a whole lot of seismic changes in technology and music education over the last year. Um, the changes have been gradual and incremental and not, like, amazing. Um, I'll give you one example. Like, I'm following Newsic very closely, and Newsic is the PDF reader but also the music xml reader they keep doing these little changes and these little projects and it's fun to watch that but it's not really worth blogging about you know what i mean um because it's, it's just, a small thing yeah. yeah dorico it's interesting to watch dorico i listened to robbie burns entire interview with daniel spreadbury which is wonderful it's long and it's wonderful probably as long yep. as this podcast is going to be by the time <laughs> we're done um but with all sincerity dorico it's interesting to me but, you know, and they just recently announced Dorico 2, which is going to be like this pro version, and then they're going to have an entry-level version for people that don't need all the bells and whistles. But even that, to me, seems like an incremental change. You know what I mean? It's not, it might be a better way of doing things that we have already been doing. And you haven't gone to Dorico yet, have you? Yeah, I'm waiting until they can Im embed ukulele chord fonts or, you know, like the, the actual chord chart in the music. I haven't gone to Dorico. You know, and if you and I haven't gone to Dorico, um, 
a normal music education teacher who's not as into technology, you know, again, it's, it's just one of those things where, eh, we've been able to do it this way for so many years. What's the benefit? What's the benefit of trying this new way of doing it? Um, and it's kind of hard to swallow. You know, how do we apply technology in our music classrooms in a way that's going to make it better? And part of that is getting around and talking to other teachers, too, and finding out the possibilities. I know every time I talk to you, I get new ideas. I talk to some of the other people on Twitter and such, I get new ideas. But if people are stuck in their own little worlds, they may not ever have an, any clue of how technology can change what's going on. Well, even, you know, like even presenting at conferences, which is something I love to do. I would love right. to move to the college level to deal um, at that level. I love, I love to interact with crowds and I love to help people see new things. I love to blow people's minds sometimes. I mean, that's, right. that's really a joy is when people see something that you can do and it's not hard and they go, I can do that. And they walk away and they have one new tool that they can apply, yep. which sounds really stupid. But if people can walk away from a session with one new tool that actually changes their life for the better, then that entire session was worth the entire thing. Um, Absolutely. But but even when I'm applying at conferences, people aren't interested in the old topics. You know, the, the, like if you say anything about iPad, people are like, eh, iPad's the past. It's the Chromebook yep. now. O okay. Um, but realistically, there are people out there presenting all over or trying to present but just so people know it doesn't really bring much of an income to you if anything it actually takes money out of your pocket um i hate to say that but it generally does the truth. um because either you're buying the equipment yourself to test or you're paying for your travel or you're paying for your meals or whatever it is but the the reason why you do it is because you want to share your knowledge but then after a while people look and they just go yeah that's old people already know this but you and i know this paul which is Every time we show people something, they go, it can do that? They don't, yeah, they don't get it. You know? They, they haven't played with it. They don't have a clue of the possibilities. Yeah. You know, and that can come down to something as simple as, like, you know, Fourscore being able to annotate in Fourscore. I mean, that sounds stupid. You know, everybody goes, ah, oh, you have Fourscore, you can write in your music. But you show that to some people, and they... They literally just, they freeze. And they go, what? Right. You know, or um, you can embed music. So let's say you've made your um, customized piano accompaniment in Notion, and you've uh, gone to your laptop and you've recorded an end tempo, the, the speed and slowdowns, the, you know, the rallentandos and so forth that you want in your song, and you've got it all ready to go. So you export that as an audio file, and you embed that in Fourscore, and now you can play it through your speakers as you direct. Right. And that's embedded in Fourscore, and you don't have to go to a second app to run it. And it's just there. People just go, what? Yeah. Or you pull out Sheet Music Scanner, and you demonstrate what Sheet Music Scanner does, and people actually get... Uh, this is my favorite. Robbie Burns told me that a friend of his, after I presented out in Maryland a couple of years ago, I showed off you know, Notion in that time, because Sheet Music Scanner I don't think was out yet, and the, the, the teacher actually started crying on his shoulder saying, how many hours did I spend sitting, entering notes into whatever the software was, <laughs> you know, right, right. but you, you have those reactions and we're saying, uh, people don't need to know this or people don't want to know it. But when it comes down to it, people still don't know that it can do it. And the other, 
the other dagger in the back is our our graduates from college that are coming out don't know that it's there either. You know, yeah, and where where is that disconnect? I mean, why are these colleges not informing their students of these possibilities? And I'll tell you why. I think it's because the the professors there haven't done their job of getting out and playing with the technology and going to these conferences and having people come in. I mean, why, why, don't, why don't people hire you to go to their college and talk to their music education graduates? Actually, I did make one trip this year. Um, one of my friends, Glenn Poland from uh, Loris College, invited me to come out and talk to his music ed majors. So that yeah. it happens rarely, but Glenn also works very close with Finale. He's one of uh, Make Music's presenters so right. he's 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 definitely not the the term luddite but i i also <laughs> think there's a bias right there's a bias in classical music against the use of technology there's a bias in classical music against anything that isn't classical music and that doesn't mean everybody i've got some friends that are wonderful classical teachers that also love everything and that doesn't mean that i always love everything either but i respect it and and that's something that has come with age for me I, I still remember my first job in the dominican republic where i was bent to create a a choral program in a culture that didn't really want a choral program and in the process i i said some very not nice things it, it wasn't like it was just rude things it wasn't really not nice but about the music that was there and i was I was dumb. I was dumb at the time. I didn't realize the complexity of the music that was there, and I should have built off of that. But So I think there's so many things to it, but my, my challenge to people is to not think that you've got it and not just to keep existing at the status quo. If you have a flow of technology in your life, then at some point you should be asking, okay, now what can I add to this? And I don't know how we change that, Paul. I just, I just don't. Well... <laughs> You and I were talking earlier about professional development that our schools require us to do here in our own districts. It'd be so much more beneficial to allow us to go present at these workshops, to allow us to go to our district and have a district-wide music teachers meeting, you know, and discuss this sort of stuff. Um, I get a lot more out of going to the state conferences than most of the PD I do here. And, and to be honest, your Michigan Music Conference is a very nice conference. Well, thank you. Yeah, and you guys do some very special things to have a technology day before the conference. I just wish it wasn't fighting. There's a couple other significant um, events that day, you know, like the conducting symposium and stuff like that, where it's all beneficial. And it, I wish we could have our own technology day because I think we get a lot more people there. It's pretty well attended, though. Yeah, and it's a lot. And, and again, you're in a state with a very diverse definition of what what music education is, too. Oh, and I live, like, on the border. Yep. Uh, you know, I'm, like, I'm right in the middle of Michigan. If you go south of me, marching band is pretty big. Yep. You go north of me, and there's, there's schools that don't even march. Right. You go up in the Upper Peninsula, and, and you get this, too, I'm sure. I mean, we were playing... My first job, I taught in the Upper Peninsula, and we had to plow the football field at halftime <laughs> in order to go on in March. You know, and it's just not worth it. So, wow, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I just think like you know, we've had Dan Scott on, who was a great, great guest. Love to have Dan on, um, but you know, he comes from a school with 
you know, multiple orchestra teachers and band directors and everything in, in the state. And then, of course, you're going to probably have schools where there's one music teacher teaching K-12 band and choir, you yep. know, in your in your state. So and maybe that's true of all states, but boy, it sure feels like our our Midwestern, Northern states, we have such, you know, around the cities, there's a wealth of resources maybe in the rings around the cities, maybe the cities themselves are a kind of a black hole in terms of, of resources because of the challenges of, of urban education in as a whole, but then your suburbs have a wealth. And then once you get past the suburbs, it just kind of falls off. And it's just interesting yeah. to see how teachers make do. And I guess that's what we're saying is that I think you have to remind me, Paul, how you said, you said something about technology should be making our lives easier yeah, I, I don't that remember. Should be how... making it. I don't remember what I said either, but it should be making our jobs easier. It should be making the students' jobs to learn easier. I mean, it's like the the example of my daughter learning how to play piano. She didn't have to go pay twenty dollars a half an hour for private piano lessons on Monday night and find a ride there. She sat in her basement and put a pair of headphones on. And when we say that, we're not saying that the teacher doesn't have a role there. But imagine the ability, if you combine then, and maybe you should be open to it later, to, to combine live instruction with video instruction while she's practicing throughout the week. You know? Right, and the combination of her sitting in that basement and then sitting in a music classroom with a competent teacher, that's a powerful, powerful reaction there. Yeah, so I don't know how we leverage all that yet. I don't think anybody does, um, but it's a start, right? Well, it's definitely started. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, but music education needs to shift to embrace that rather than to shun it. You know, I, there's always the fear of the unknown, um, just like there's always the fear of you know why don't a lot of schools offer a uh, like a rock band class. Because there's right. fears that you lose students to that class or or things like that. And we've at some point we just have to, to stop with the fear. But boy, that's a challenge, you know? I wonder how many kids are in your school that are not in your band, choir, orchestra, but they're still making music. Yeah. Well that's see, I'm in a little different situation where almost every student is in music, and that's part yeah, of the, that's true. That's part of the problem. But I will tell you one little story. Um, I that we occasionally we get a student that um, manages to find their way out of music and gym because we're we're tag teams. So if a student is in a music class, the opposite day there's an A B schedule. The opposite day they're in gym. Um, occasionally we get a student that is involved with like our avid program or something else, and they will take another class in place of that. It's not many, you know. It's not many students that fall into that category, but but there's a few. And one of these students hadn't been in choir, uh, hasn't been in choir this entire year, was in choir the last two years. And we started with ukuleles in January of their sixth grade year. So this was an eighth grader. She came back and asked me, hey, Dr. Russell, can I borrow one of the ukuleles? And I said, well, what are you going to use it for? And she said, well, I wrote a song at home on my, on my ukulele, and I didn't bring my ukulele to school. And I'd like to play it for my class because I, I want to include it in my project. And I was like, go for it. 
Well, she came back after presenting it, and I said, how'd it go? And she said it went really well. She said, you want to hear it? And she sat there and played and sang a song for me on the ukulele after not being in choir for an entire year and took the time to share that with me. And that was an awesome moment for me because it's like the things that I had hoped for, which ultimately, do I want them to be in high school choir? Sure. Do I expect it of everyone? No. You know, but what do I want? I want them to have musical independence, right? And this kid not only is still playing ukulele out of my class, is not still is is not just singing outside my class, but they're writing their own music. I mean, what an incredible win! But the negative is she's not there to support the choral side of things. But right. but that's one of the challenges that I've been facing. Is uh, and I don't know if we want to talk about this or not. But my principal asked me if I would. Um, consider not making the concert mandatory in the spring talk about oh, yeah, you blogged about that i did and it was it five years ago i would have said are you kidding me <laughs> you know what i mean um yeah. most music educators that i know that are, are directors would be like uh-uh you know no we're not going to not have students come to the concert but I've had so many discipline problems and other issues with students that really don't want to be there. They're forced into music. They have to take a music for the most part, unless there are very best students that, that opt out for some more rigorous, you know, academic things. Um, and that's not best students musically, just our best overall achieving students that, you know, I'm saying in terms of academics. And sure. uh, so I, I said, okay. So I tried it. And I never said the word optional for the concert. In fact, I continued to words, use the word mandatory. And in past years, 35% of our student body would skip the spring concert, which mm. is huge already. Well, when we came to the concert in the fall here, or not the fall, the spring, about 40% of my sixth grade missed, which is just a little bit above that. About 50% of my seventh graders missed, maybe a little upwards of that. And about 60% of my 8th graders missed. Um, however, they the choirs didn't sing any worse than they have. And in fact, the 7th right. grade performance may have been better than any concert I've had at that school. Um, so I suddenly sit back and say, okay, in this environment where you're forcing music, this works. But the challenge there is the mindset of group. And in the old days, or, or how are... You know, if you're a high school music teacher, generally kids don't have to take the class, right? Right, And they're there because they want to be there, so you're not going to have that problem. But the the problem I have is somebody asked me, one of my colleagues said, well, isn't it like, aren't you like a basketball team? And would you have a kid that attends practice that that if they said they have to miss the game, that's okay? And I thought about it, And here's the deal. With the way that we have music, with every student having to take music and not a general music option, really what what we're, we're not looking at kids and saying you're part of the basketball team. We're not. What we're saying is you're in gym class. Oh, yeah. You're learning how to play basketball. We're not expecting you to play on the team. Now, this idea is going to drive some music educators crazy. They may never listen to our podcast again. (laughs) Um, but for a second step back, if you're in the same situation where I am, where, you know, respect of learning, respect of others, respect of self, respect of property is a challenge in your school. This might be something that saves you in the context versus having 
you know, 75% of your students show up to a concert um, and, you know, 20% of them are misbehaving during the concert because they don't really want to be there and their parents didn't come to the concert anyway. You know, they just dropped right. their kids off and drove. So they're not going to deal with the discipline of their kids. And nobody else is going to say anything other than the parents of the kids that don't mess around that then, <laughs> you know, come to you after the concert and just say, oh, I'm so sorry or whatever. Right. Um, but it's an interesting thing. So I don't know, Paul, I don't know where I'm going with all this, but it's it's just an interesting shift that we're to think there there is a place for a varsity basketball team. But where is the place for the kid that just needs to know the basics of how to play basketball. And, right. and, I, and that's kind of, that's my function right now, and that's the hard part. As a classically trained musician, I was not trained for that. So I don't know where we go with all that. I don't know where it goes. I'm hoping I'm not saying anything that's going to get myself or anybody else in trouble. Um, I think I'm trying to, to, to be very diplomatic in what I'm saying, but it's, it's an interesting time. So if we can combine technology, use video resources change our instruction if we need to. Um, and, and then if you're a traditional teacher, there's there has to be things like Sight Reading Factory. Hey, talk about a segue, right? Um, right, there we go. You know, that, that you can actually apply into your classroom setting and instantly use technology in a way that maybe you haven't before. And I think part of what you're talking about too with the whole idea behind the concert attendance is what is the purpose of your class. And I think the purpose of your class in your setting is different, like you said, from the purpose of a high school choir. Yep. Those kids have elected to be in that class. And therefore, all the materials and the goals and objectives should maybe be different. Well, maybe not all of them, but there should be, there should definitely be some that are different. So... Yeah, the traditional band choir concert. It's interesting that you said that seventh grade group performance was maybe one of your best, which makes you maybe have a discussion with your administrators of what is our goal here? I, because if it's a final spring concert, uh, we may be doing things wrong. Well, I'm, I'm in, in our case, I'm pretty sure that, that we're on the, the sand. There, you know, again, there was a decision made when we went to middle schools in our district from junior highs, and we opened up the new building that I was a part of as a high school, and so we could have the space to allow us to do that. There was definitely a discussion to eliminate uh, class general music because it was a behavior bad hotspot. But then the decision to keep music for everybody and then expect students that wouldn't behave in a classroom setting to behave in a choral setting because that's where they're going to go right yeah um that's a little unrealistic Absurd. too yeah right in the midst of things and that's not to say that general music is bad everywhere trust if you teach general music and you're one of those awesome teachers um that's that's exciting maybe i'm not exciting but you know that maybe you're exciting <laughs> in what you do and you've got this great curriculum and you've got a school where learning is 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 part you students respect learning, you know. Um, I know general music can be awesome, so I'm I, you know, at the middle at the secondary level too. By the way, I'm not talking elementary here. I get it. I get it. I'm not. I'm not saying that it can't be, but um, you know, I talk with teachers everywhere, and most people just say you need another option at your school, and it's like, well, yeah, but 
still the same the same thing comes to play though again is integrating technology and that's what we're all about and and I just don't stop I keep trying to find new ways to do things and and hopefully I know you do too Paul right you know yep um, and like you said if we can find one new thing even per school year yeah to incorporate that would make our lives or our students lives better then we need to do it we need to talk about it we need to share those ideas so it's about we're about fifty two minutes in already chatting here. Um, yes, we are. And again, if I have monopolized the conversation, I apologize. Um, <laughs> it's all great. It's all good stuff. <laughs> but um, our interview that's going to follow this, we'll do a little little break, um, and then you'll get the interview. Is with Don Crafton. He is the one of the creators of Sight Reading Factory, which is a really kind of interesting program. It generates logical sight reading exercises based on either their set algorithms, um, some state standards of so some different states. I think like NISMA is represented there and it will do so for an individual, for an ensemble. There are uh, purchase plans for an entire program. You can buy it individually and teach off of it, which is what I do. Um, Paul, do you want to talk about how you're using it a little bit? Um. I use it individually as well. I have not bought it for each of my individual students. I know that um, like with Notate, or not Notate me, um, Notion, not Notion, man, I can't even think. We've been talking too long. Um, <laughs> NoteFlight, with NoteFlight, um, each of my kids have a subscription to that, but we have not gone that route with Sight Reading Factory. I use it in front of the classroom. I print some materials and um, project it on the screen. And you do like one of the things where like it shows different keys for different instruments and different stabs or different uh, clefts. Usually, when we get to that point, it's printed okay. on to paper. Okay. Because I mean, I have a pretty decent sized screen in the front of my room, but it's not big enough that all the students can read off from it. Okay. And I, I do a, a single screen off the front. Um, often, I'm, I just make a video capture of it using iOS 11. I talked about that in the interview, so I won't go into that here. But I embed Sight Reading Factory using Dale Duncan's levels at the end of my warm-ups. So we start off every day. Oh, that's another thing I've done this year is we start off every day with a short video from YouTube. Sometimes it's a ukulele player. Sometimes it's another music interest of video or a music video of interest. I use some of Katie Wardrobe's suggestions for that. But what we do is I start off, the, that gets kids in the room, some kids that normally be late or tardy. It does get a few of those kids in because they want to see the video. And I start that as soon as the bell goes on. They are, if they're out of their seats and wandering, they find their way to their seat and they watch the video while I do attendance and those other startup things. And then we go right from the video to, I just quickly talk about our learning target because we have one of those each day. And then... Um, I talk, I, every day I give a quote now that's positive about music education, the purpose of music education. I've been using uh, Be Part of the Music, their Twitter feed for a lot of those. And then I go yeah. right into warm-ups. And then after our warm-ups, and I have different warm-ups that I use, then the last thing we do is a rhythm counting exercise based off of sight, S-cubed, and then a sight singing exercise done in Sight Reading fa Factory based off of S-cubed. So that's how I'm using the product. And uh, it it works well and it also keeps you on track. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's 38 seconds for most of those exercises. If you do a four measure deal and that's perfect, rather getting bogged down, you know what I'm saying? So you're doing the sight reading, you're being consistent with it, but you're also not being bogged down 
getting losing track, other things. And again, as we talked about, it's video. So guess where their attention is? On that screen. On that screen, whether they're all participating or not, their attention is still there. So I, I, I think really strongly using Keynote, PowerPoint, Google Slides as a, as a focus point for your class is also pretty smart. So, and you use Keynote for yours. Yeah. And, and is all that stuff run from Keynote yep. or are you jumping back and forth? Nope. I just use it in Keynote. In fact, what I've been doing lately is I make all the Keynotes on my iPad. And then just to run in class for ease of deal, I upload using AirDrop the Keynote from my iPad to the computer. And then I just run the Keynote off the computer because um, nice. they can talk with each other. And, you know, rather than running it off of my iPad. So that gives me the freedom to use my iPad for what I need to use it for, which is sheet music, attendance, you name it. Then I have that freedom. And are you using like the Keynote remote? No, just... I could, okay. but I haven't. I could sure. also buy just a normal remote, you know, for, you know, Apple remote and run it that way too. I haven't done that. Probably be smart to do. Yeah. But the new building, maybe that's what I do. There you go. So anyway, your your one new thing. Yeah, there you go. Next year, what did you what did you integrate? Um, a remote that's been out for about fifteen years. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> they used to include them with the Macs. They don't do that anymore. Um, no, I have I have a couple. I'm going to mail you one. No, no, I've, we've got plenty with the Apple TVs. But remember the white ones they used to include with the Mac. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I've yeah. got a couple of those. Yeah. And they still work, by the way. You know, they still have the IR receiver and stuff. So. Um, I don't know, Paul, any last thoughts before we switch over to the, the interview? I think we've said enough. 57 minutes worth. <laughs> yeah. Well, Paul, my thanks to you. Thank you for being a friend. Um, but also, thank you for your time and, and doing this. And to everybody out there, we will try to um, have a couple more podcasts, at least this summer, when Paul and I have actually some time to breathe. So... Um, thank you again for listening, and what's going to follow is our interview with Don Crafton from Sight Reading Factory. All right, welcome back to the Music Education Technology Podcast with Chris Russell and Paul Shimon. We have with us today Don Crafton, who is one of the co-owners of Sight Reading Factory. So, Don, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, your product, the company, and what it does? Yeah, uh, sure. So, yeah, my name is Don Crafton. Um, as Chris said, I, I co-own SightReadingFactory.com. Um, I think you said a little bit of my background, maybe. Um, so, um, started as a, a band director. Um, uh, had a need for uh, a sight reading um, program um, because it was really tough, you know, finding a way to sight read with my band. Um, and uh, there wasn't one out there. So I kind of thought about how to make one and came up with a cool way to um, algorithmically generate music. Uh, but I'm not a programmer. So I didn't actually know how to make, you know, to, to realize that, you know, to make it happen. Um, so I uh, partnered up with someone in my, my hometown of Richmond, Virginia, and um, and we uh, we launched Sight Reading Factory. Um, so essentially, Sight Reading Factory it's a it's a I guess in a nutshell it's a music composition engine. Um, so it composes music for you to use for sight reading. So you have essentially an unlimited supply of new music to use, um, and you can configure it in a lot of different ways for a lot of different instruments, uh, or as we call them, mediums, instruments, solo voices, ensembles. 
How long ago did you start the company? Yeah, so we um, so we actually launched back in 2011, um, and it was super bare bones. Um, actually, we were having um, a good little chuckle about that the other day, um, looking at because we actually have a, an original version of the website that we launched uh, that, that we launched uh, back back in December of 2011, and um, I mean it, it had you know the the basic solo voices and and solo instruments. Um, but I mean, it didn't. It didn't have piano. You couldn't configure the measures. Uh, it didn't have dynamics, you know, accidentals, anything like that. It was. It was really, really just bare bones. Well, we could tell right away. Um, you know, we we would right away we were getting great feedback from from users saying how useful it was, and of course telling us um, everything that we should add to make it better. <laughs> but um, but yeah, we would we would right away get get great feedback, and we and we and we knew we were onto something. When you launched, was it just a web based? app or was it um on like ios i know it's on ios is it on android too now right so um yeah when we launched it was purely web-based um we did not have a a great you know mobile feel to it at all i mean really really the 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 initial concept was you know for teachers to be able to use it in the classroom projecting it um ensemble music um obviously we, we didn't launch with ensembles at first but that was where we were headed uh but that was sort of the initial concept um so no we did not have an ios app um i mean obviously you could use it through the browser on those devices it wasn't a, a great experience but uh but but you could use it on those um on those devices we later developed an ios app um we were kind of forced into it actually um, and my, my timeline is getting a little sketchy because um, that, that's I feel like that's been a long time ago now. But um, I want to say maybe in 2013 or 14, we, we launched uh, student accounts um, and this assignments feature, which is really great for, for teachers to be able to uh, create these assignments for their students, um, these sight reading assignments for their students, which the students will launch on their own devices um, and our site will record them and then they can, you know, kind of listen to it, do some self-assessing and then submit it back for the teacher. So there's this whole built-in uh, assessment component uh, that, that, that's really helpful for teachers to be able to grade their students. Um, so we, we launched that initially and I was just web, you know, um, but yeah, you, you can't record. I'm sure you know you can't record in the browser on iOS devices. So we had a lot of teachers saying, "Hey, it's not you know it's not working for my students. We're one to one iPad or whatever, or my students have iPhones and they and they can't use it." So we um so we were kind of forced into using uh, to to developing an iOS app. So that was the reason why we developed an iOS app. We actually didn't necessarily want to develop one, uh, but that was the reason why we 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 developed one. Um, and it's not you know there's not. The, the, the current iOS app that we have, we actually have a new update coming out very soon, actually, because um, we have a couple, couple new features coming out that it's that, that it's, it's going to match up with. Um, but it's not full feature parity with the web, uh, but but it's pretty close. It's a it's a pretty nice feeling app. Oh, but I, I, I guess I should answer your question about Android. We do not have an Android app. And the reason why we don't have an Android app is because you can record in the Chrome browser on um, on Android devices. Um, so again, you know, the whole reason we did the iOS app was so that students could record and submit their assignments. And um, <clears throat> and since you can do that through the browser on Android devices, um, we didn't have a need uh, to develop an Android app. Yeah, that makes it a little, little bit easier. So you mentioned that there's a student account that teachers can get for each of their students. Um, 
are you finding that most teachers are getting those student accounts or is uh, is there a good number of teachers who are just getting themselves an account and then using the projector in the front of the classroom? What, what's, what's the feeling you get from everybody? Yeah, great question. I'd say it's probably uh, about half and half. We, we looked at um, that data last year sometime actually, and it, it, was, it was kind of amazingly about half of our teachers um, will just use it as a, a, you know, projecting in the classroom and about half have student accounts. Um, and, I, and I think it's it really just kind of personal preference for the teachers, how much time they have. You know, I mean, if you're going to do the student account feature, um, you're definitely getting, you know, getting more involved in the program. You're going to be, you know, spending some time listening to the uh, students' recordings because, um, you know, it's not – our site does not auto-assess the students, um, not like smart music or anything like that. So basically when the student takes an assignment, um, you know, the – teacher can configure it a lot of different ways. Um, you know, the, the, they, they can select all the settings for the students or they can let the students select some or all. It's, it's, it's very flexible how to set up the assignment. But when the student takes it, um, they get the option to uh, listen to their recording. And um, if they think they did a good job, um, then they'd submit. If they don't think they did a good job and the teacher allowed multiple attempts, then they can try again. Now, if they try again, what it actually does is generate a brand new exercise for them because so, it is sight reading, right? We don't want them trying again on the same exercise. So uh, <clears throat> so it'll generate a new exercise, restart the countdown timer, and the student can try again. So the student kind of can keep doing that as much as they want, you know, self-assessing, listening to their recording, looking at the music, and, and deciding, yeah, I did a good job. Let me submit this to the teacher. And then the teacher gets that recording and the music. They get to see both. And, you know, I mean, they, they get to see the music, hear the recording. Then the teacher gets to uh, grade the student um, and leave feedback, which is then shared back with the student. So, um, yeah, I'd say about half the teachers do that, um, that, that use our program. And the ones that do just absolutely love it. They've noticed huge improvements in their student sight reading abilities. I mean, because, you know, these students, they're – I mean, how many students really have the – the materials, you know, to truly sight read at home all the time, right? I mean, they would need lots of music they've never seen before. Um, and most don't have that. So, you know, but most do have a phone. So, you know, they can do it right there on their phone. Um, and, you know, it's great because because also the, the teachers get to hear each of their students individ individually, which they don't necessarily get to do all the time in class. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a pretty powerful feature. Yeah, it's really hard to find that time to listen to every individual student. That's true. Yeah, and 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 we definitely do get requests for the auto assessment feature. You know, because of that, you know, a teacher will have three hundred students and say, "Hey, I don't have time to listen to all my students' assignments." Because um, it's great. I mean, obviously, the more more often you can do the assignments, the more results you're going to see. Um, but I think a lot of teachers use it a lot of different ways. We've had some that say they just use it, you know, once a semester you know, as a, as a placement type thing or, you know, a, a, an exam type thing. We have some that use it weekly, some that use it daily, um, some that just use it quarterly. So it really just depends on, you know, the the teacher, I think, and, you know, and how, how, how much time they have and how, how much they want to get into it. When you talk about grading, Don, um, how how is it, what does grading look like? I, I use the teacher in the front of the room approach. So I, I we haven't done student accounts and Budgets and things will keep us from doing that. But what does it look like grading? Is is it a rubric-based grading or is it just a point-based grading? Yeah, so good question. Um, so we have had requests to be able to, you know, have a rubric um, 
you know, where they might just click a couple of things, you know, you got a five on sound, a three on intonation, you know, two on rhythm, something like that. Uh, we don't have that currently. Um, the, the grading is just a, <clears throat> a field that you put a grade in. It can be either a number or um, a letter. Um, and, um, and then, and then a, a field for entering feedback, you know, so you can say, you know, you got a, a B minus, and then you can say, you know, Johnny, you need to be sure you watch your rhythm and measure four. Um, or you can say you got a, you know, 89, um, you know, and say, Hey, great job, you know, keep working at it or whatever, you know? So, so it's a, it's kind of open, open form. You can kind of grade it however you want. Uh, but, but like I said, we have had requests and that is something that we are considering, uh, being able to, uh, grade, uh, excuse me, being able to have a rubric, either create your own rubric or use ours. Yeah. I know when I use Google classroom, I like having, I use Gubric with Google classroom and it is really quick and fast. It's easy. Yeah, yeah, like you know, you you mentioned Google Classroom. That that brings up a whole whole other topic. Um, um, you know, we we kind of have our own LMS, um, kind of built into it. You know, so you can do the, the you know creating the classes and assignments and um, viewing reports and all kinds of great stuff. But um, you know, a lot of teachers already use you know a separate LMS. You know, Schoology. You mentioned Google Classroom, things like that. So that's another thing we're looking into is integrating with. Um, other LMSs as well. We already are um, integrated with um, uh, Music First, if y'all are familiar with that. Um, <clears throat> you know, music-specific LMS. So um, that is one thing that we already are integrated with. I was going to ask you, Don, regarding Music First, how did that relationship start? Yeah, so we uh, we met them um, at TMEA. Gosh, when was that? I think it was it was the first time we went, I want to say it was back in 2013. Um, and yeah, we met them at TMEA and, um, I think they were looking at the time they were looking for a, uh, a sight reading, uh, uh, product. And, um, and we, you know, we were fairly new at the time, right? We were only a, a, a few years old and, um, <clears throat> And it just it was just a natural fit because we were all cloud based online, you know, and that's exactly what they were looking for. Um, and we didn't even have the iOS app at the time. Um, uh, I think we had maybe just implemented student accounts. So that whole assignments classroom, you know, our little um, fledgling LMS was was um, was was very new. But it was a, it was a very natural fit at the time. Um, and um, yeah, because they were looking for they they had all these other components, your training, music theory, you know, stuff for um, elementary kids and all that. But but they didn't have that sight reading component. No, I just I find this really interesting. The, the assignments on your in sight reading factory, they're not like preset. You have like every time you go in, it's a different musical excerpt, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So so the teacher. Uh, again, has a lot of options. So, um, so, so basically, let's say that they um, say, okay, I want all my students to do level two, and I want them all to do uh, C major, and I want them all to do four four. So, so they've they've configured some parameters, you know. So, you know, d depending on what instrument they pick, you know, level two means a certain range, and depending on what um, instrument category, voice or winds or brass or percussion or whatever, you know, they're going to get certain rhythms and things like that. So there's, there's a lot that's cooked into that level too. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, yeah. So when each student launches the assignment, 
every student is going to get a different sight reading exercise because that's just the way our site works. Um, um, and man, I, should, I should have probably been more clear about that before, but every time you hit uh, start sight reading or we have a button and, and another one button, it literally composes the music instantly in real time. We don't have, we don't employ composers to write music for us. We don't have, you know, music that's, uh, that's stored, you know, uh, or anything like that. It literally, the, the algorithm composes it instantly, um, most times in under a second. So all the students will be getting different sight reading exercises that will all be um, about the same level of difficulty, right? You know, because they're all going to have about the same rhythms and same range and all that kind of business. <clears throat> Again, depending on the instrument and all that. But um, so, yeah, and then, and then what the teacher will get is a bunch of different recordings and they'll get to see the music that that each student had and then yeah each time again if the if the teacher has said you can do unlimited attempts each time the student tries again the student's going to get another sight reading exercise so you know from a, i guess from a pedagogical point of view if i'm a teacher and i'm i'm using this with my students heck yeah do unlimited attempts you're you're sitting there practicing sight reading over and over again i'm a happy camper and then once and then once they're um, they've self-assessed long enough and they s send it to me, then, you know, I think they've, you know, they've really done a great job. I had a student the other day, a private student. I don't teach I don't teach band anymore, but I do teach privately. I had this private trombone student the other day do 46 attempts on a sight reading exercise. Um, and I was just blown away by that. Um, you know, the fact that he <laughs> he really wanted to do a great job before uh, before submitting it. Um, and I noticed a difference, you know, the next week when I, when I, when I heard him play and heard him sight read, you know, I, I noticed an improvement. So now as teacher, you didn't get 46 recordings turned into you though, did you? No. So I only saw the last one. So I, I saw, you know, stats, it said, you know, it shows you how many attempts they did and when they submitted and things like that. So I saw that he did 46 attempts. Uh, but I only got the last one he submitted and that's the way it works for the students currently. Um, it's almost like um, you know they have to gamble. So if they so so if they do an attempt, they listen to it. They're like, eh, it was pretty good, or you know, it wasn't so good. I think I think I'll try again. I'll try my luck on another one. Um, as soon as they hit try again, that attempt they did is gone forever, um, and they have to you know start fresh. And they and they and they better hope they they do better on this next one. If not, then they got to try again. So they kind of just keep going until they finally have a recording that they like. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and again, that can be configured, you know, if a teacher wants to say, you know, I'll only do five attempts and that student knows that, you know, I can only try this five times or I can only try this one time or however the teacher configures it. Um, and a lot of times they will do that, you know, if it's a, you know, more of an audition type situation, you only want them to try one time. Now, Don, one of the things I know that, that I've sometimes wished is that after I created an exercise, I could keep coming back to that same exercise. Um, that isn't something that's been part of Sight Reading Factory. Is that something you guys have considered adding? Yeah, we have considered it. It's a um, fairly popular request. Um, we have a whole, I, I wish you could see our, our, our list of <laughs> uh, feature requests, um, but we have a whole list of uh, requests, and that's a fairly popular one for, for people to be able to um, uh, save an exercise, you know, go back and access it again. Uh, but as you mentioned, it's it's not possible. You can save a configuration. So, um um, one of the other neat features about the site is that you can you can customize um, the, the exercises how you'd like. 
Um, you know, so if there's a specific rhythm you want to work on or, you know, a specific range or specific leaps or whatever, uh, and it doesn't quite line up with our stock levels or some of the standards that we have on the site, um, then you can customize it and kind of create your own level. And it may take, you know, a few minutes to set up a level just like you want and, you know, test it and tweak it and all that kind of stuff. Um, so rather than having to do that every time you come to the site, we have a way for you to save a configuration. Um, so you, so you, so yeah, you, you can save and name a configuration so that you can launch that configuration, uh, which will again randomly generate an exercise based on that configuration that you saved. Um, now, with that said, it is a fairly popular request to be able to to save the music, and we are uh, considering it um, for 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 a couple different ways. You know, if, um, you know, just to kind of use in regular practice, but also for teachers that may want to. <clears throat> Kind of use our site more as a as a platform for not necessarily site reading, but just kind of assessing their students in general. Like, let's say there's, you know, some um, <clears throat> they're working on a hard band piece or something like that, and there's an excerpt for the clarinets that real tough, and they want the clarinets to practice that, so they can, you know, copy that and put it in our system or or whatever, something like that, and then the students can record it and s- send it back to them. Something along those lines, we've had a request to be able to use the same music or uploaded music for, for an assignment. Um, that's sort of obviously getting away from the sight reading aspect of our site, but that is something that we're considering as well. Um, I know I know some teachers will, you know, just, you know, print a PDF, you know, they'll find an exercise they like and they'll just print a PDF or they'll just take a screenshot of it and and you know, pull up something like that. That's, that's how some people are getting around it right now. The fact that we, you can't save exercises. I noticed something today as I uh, was using Sight Reading Factory and I printed an ensemble um, mu- piece of music from your site. But then when it printed out, it didn't say which instruments should be playing each line. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I will say our ensemble printing probably needs a little bit of work. Um, and the the reason for that is because um, <clears throat> we were having a problem with, with with kind of having enough music on the page um, or en- enough space on the page and, and still display those staff names. Um, so that's kind of why we, we we didn't include that. I kind of like it, you know, because it made the kids really think through. Okay, which line is mine? Yeah, it's true. It does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is that is you know we we definitely could could do a little work to make make the printing on the page a, a little nicer, um, you know, and showing the staff names and things like that. Cause, cause there are a lot of teachers that, you know, for whatever reason, don't, uh, you know, don't have the, the, the technology to be able to, you know, project it and for all the students to see it and things like that. So, so printing is kind of the only way to use the site of, if they, if they want to use it. I haven't tried that yet. Projecting the ensemble on the screen up front, are teachers having pretty good success with the kids being able to read it is it is the music big enough yeah it fit it fits pretty nicely i think in in most cases i mean obviously it's it's probably a case by case scenario um we don't get a lot of feedback that says hey i can't i can't use this you know it's not working on my projector or anything i mean occasionally we'll get something like that like you know is there a way to make make the music bigger and, and things like that but i think for the most part it is working or they aren't telling us. They, they, they're 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 not telling us that it's not working, or they're and they're printing or something like that. But I think for the most part, it is working pretty well. Um, you know, and again, we we you know if you if you use it on your computer and you pull up an ensemble piece, you'll notice that, you know, for like a concert band score, it'll all fit up there, 
on a, it's it's six staves and it fits up there pretty nicely. We only do eight measures for ensemble so that I mean, for that reason, um, we try to use up as much screen as possible. And, and and we do give you options for zooming and you can also use the browser zoom, which tends to help. Another thing we have now, I will say for choir, uh, it works. I think it works great. Because um, that's only you know at, at most four staves, and um, and even for string orchestra sometimes that's only three. Um, you know it kind of gets a little hairy when you when you get into concert band and full orchestra when you, when you get the, the the six staves of music. Um, but uh, uh, I'll also say, oh yeah, for for concert band, and uh, we also had have, have a way to reverse the 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 order of the staves. I don't know if you saw that feature. So so initially when we did it, you know, I was thinking more your traditional score order, you know, so, you know, the higher instruments at the top, flutes and things like that, and then, you know, lower instruments and percussion at the bottom. But if if you think about it when when viewing a screen, that doesn't practically that doesn't work well for for most of the band because your percussion's in the very back and your low brass are in the very back. And they may not be able to see through the heads of everyone to see the bottom lines of music. And conversely, the flutes and a lot of the higher instruments are in the front of the ensemble. So they're having to crane their necks and look up at the top line of music. So we added an option to reverse the order of the staves so that the the lower parts, the percussion, the lower parts are up top. And the, you know, the C treble and the higher parts are, are down at the bottom. And, and I think that does work in, for, for some people who, who have the problem where their students in the back can't see as well. That's awesome. That's a nice touch. Chris, are you using this uh, with your choir showing ensemble, like four-part harmony stuff? or I'm just using it for single-line sight reading. That's that's what I'm using it for. Yeah, right. Yeah, middle schoolers. My kids can't do four parts yet. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and I think... Yeah, and I, and I think um, it, it's a great way to, to get into to multiple parts sight reading. Um, Chris, do you teach middle school? Is that right? Yeah, I'm middle school six through eight. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that, that's a great introduction, you know, just kind of starting single line. Um, and if they read bass clef, I don't think middle schoolers, you know, the boys are ready to read bass clef yet. Um, but, you know, there's that option for doing unison choir. It gives you a treble clef and a, and a bass clef line. Um, but like some of the some of the, you know, once you're ready to get into multiple parts sight reading, like the, the level one, um, you know, if you just do SS sight reading, um, the, the level one is, you know, we try to make it real, real accessible for, for young students. You know, it basically stays within a scale degree range of, I think, a sixth. It's like low T to La um, or maybe Sol or something like that. I can't remember it, but, but, but it stays within like a scale degree range of a, a fifth or sixth. And it's pretty much in unison and sort of it might wander and break off into thirds every once in a while. You know, so, there, so there's just a little bit of harmony occasionally. Um, and then there's no leaps. It is all, it's all steps, you know, so we, so we try to make, you know, kind of getting into multiple part, very, very accessible. And then, you know, and then level two kind of gradually introduces some leaps in, but it's still rhythmically homophonic and things like that. Um, but the multiple part choir sight reading is pretty neat, actually. Um, it's actually, I think one of the cooler features of the site, because you can actually kind of pick your own, um, choral ensemble, so, you know, if you want to do, you know, just two part, you can do that. If you want to do three part, you can do SSA or TTB or SAB or whatever. You can kind of make whatever vocal ensemble you want. And you can do four parts. Uh, you just can't do any more than two of the same same voice type, you know, so you can't do, you know, SSSS or anything. But um, 
But yeah, so I think it's a it's a pretty neat feature, obviously for more I guess advanced choirs that 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 can sight read in parts. I've got one more question, and then you guys might have to finish this by yourselves because I have to go to a work assignment here for a state band festival. Yay me! But um, when using the iOS app, do you have to have an account to try sight reading factory? Um, yeah, you do actually. So so with the iOS app. Um, you know, if you just download, if you don't have a Sight Reading Factory subscription and you just download it, it just asks you for a um, um, username and a password or an email address and a password. So, and if you don't have one, then, you know, you're kind of stuck. And we actually get a lot of a lot of complaints about that. You know, like, hey, I downloaded your app and it's asking me for an email address and password and I don't have one. Because there's a lot of people that just find us in the app store. But again... The intention of the app was to be more of a, a student assignment launcher type thing, you know. Um, but but like I said, there there is a lot of feature parity there with with what's on the web. Um, so yeah, you do have to have a subscription on the web to try it out. I mean, you can create a profile on the web, um, like sort of a blank profile. That's uh, but even still, I, I don't think it will let you log into the iOS app. Um, and you know we we haven't gotten into in app purchases with Apple yet, um, and that's why we can't really explain it. We can't really kind of promote our website. Unfortunately, on the app, we can't say, "Hey, you want an account? Go check out SightReadingFactory.com," uh, because Apple won't allow us to do that. So we either have to kind of go all in and, and let people purchase subscriptions through Apple, or we can't mention it at all. And you just have to kind of know you have to have a subscription, and then you can log into it. Yeah, that's cool. All right, hey guys. I appreciate your time. Um, I know I'm going to use this a little bit more in my class too. And um, I'll let you guys wrap things up, Chris. Thanks, Paul. It was nice talking with you. All right. Sounds good, Paul. Have have a good uh, work day. <laughs> yep. Great to meet you. Bye-bye. So, Don, I, you know, I've been using Sight Reading Factory in connection. You and I have talked about this over email about I've been using Dale Duncan's Sight Reading Method, and I've been customizing exercises to match the exercises that he creates and you know following the rules for each level and and that so that's that's basically what I've been using um, when you create an ensemble does it polyphonic then um, so so you have the yeah you have the option with ensemble um, to either do unison or uh, multiple part um, and for for the for the unison um, ensemble sight reading exercises you can you you do have the option to customize the, those if you want to uh, but again they will stay in unison for for multiple part um, ensemble sight reading exercises um, you cannot customize them yet that is a feature that we want to add uh, <clears throat> but yeah but but you do have the option of uh, multiple part sight reading or unison sight reading with the ensembles do you do anything with just chord progressions like i'm thinking you know I'm, i've been into ukulele and, and guitar do you do anything with sight reading like chord charts or anything or is that something that that could be done in the future oh man <laughs> i wish adam was on this call right now <laughs> so um so yeah we we were we were i i can't say close to implementing the feature but um we were working on this feature gosh it's probably been three years now um and I and we were working with actually a, a local guitar player um, um, in in Richmond, and um, and he was helping because um, I'm I'm not really a jazzer, um, and Adam's not really a musician. He's he, he's a programmer, although he's learned a lot about music since he's been doing this. But um, but but I knew I knew that would be a great feature for 
folks that would like to be able to, you know, have a, essentially random chord generator, right? You know, um, that would, you know, spit out um, rhythm slashes, you know, um, in the in, in, instead of notes. And then above the staff would be chords that you're supposed to play for that. And um, and that's that. And, and, and we, we were, you know, we, we actually had it generating, you know, uh, random chord charts and things like that. But but we were running into some problems, and unfortunately we lost some steam. We we were working on some other features concurrently, and um, and then we just sort of lost steam and and lost interest ultimately. But um, well, I guess other folks lost interest. I still like the idea. I'm very excited about it. I would love to implement that feature. Um, but no, I guess currently we don't do that. But um, I I definitely have it um, um, in the back of my brain and would like to revive it at some point. Yeah, because, I mean, part of what, you know, I, I teach ukulele not from, like, a, a melodic standpoint, but a harmonic standpoint to support singing. And uh, a lot of the stuff we've been doing, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos I've been making where it's play-along videos on ukulele, but uh, kids just love just practicing chords and playing with, with an established, you know, even a, a bass and a, you know, a drum track at the same time. And if it's something could be generating chords that made sense... You know, it'd be pretty cool. But and I imagine guitar players, a lot of them start the same way, too. So I, don't know, I, just, I was just thinking about that because I thought we had talked at some point about chords at one of those conventions at some point. But it's it's been a while, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and it's definitely um, it's definitely something that 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 I would like to add. Um, and as far as the, the the chord talk, that might have been with regards to piano sight reading, uh, actually notated out chords on piano sight reading. It's possible that's what it was about um and that is something we added i guess i can't say recently anymore it's maybe been a year and a half or two years at this point but um for a long time our piano music didn't have chords in it in in the individual hands it was all just single line in each hand and um you know our, our last update for piano added that um added that ability to have chords in there so um but yeah as far as um you know chords for guitars and and ukes and things like that yeah that is that's definitely something that 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 I want to add for sure. I think the other thing I was telling you about is I finally solved one of my issues, which was when I'm doing a sight reading exercise, particularly if I'm going to be testing it, you know, I, I'd love to be able to use the same one. And I actually will let sometimes the piano play along with my students as they test on it, just to give them a little bit of reinforcement. And I, I think I emailed you about this too, but I realized that iOS 11 will let me do a screen recording. So what I've been doing lately is actually making a short screen recording of Sight Reading Factory on the iPad. So I'll load up the custom stipulations from that I've worked out on my MacBook, bring those over to the iPad app because it lets you open recent configurations there, and then record the screen when I push play on Sight Reading Factory. So then I can embed that, that video like in a keynote and uh, use the same sight reading factory thing throughout the day which has been kind of useful in fact i can even upload it to um, like schoology as part of the assessment so if they're not in class they can do it at home and that's been that's been pretty useful and so it's you know I, I think i asked the other day have you ever thought about exporting video from sight reading factory you might have gone why would i ever want to do that but that's been pretty useful so just you know finding other ways around you know there's there's always another way to to solve a problem, I guess. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, 
Uh, but but I guess if we if we had the ability to to play the same, you know, to save an exercise and, and do that again, would that would that save save you from having to to do the screen recording? I don't know. Um, the way that I'm doing it right now, the screen recording then allows students to be able to see the vid- see the the sight reading exercise and hear that piano reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Oh right, you know, on at the same time. Yeah, which is pretty nice. Oh, that's very interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, it, I, I don't know. I just thought I would tell you about that because I, I don't know if anybody else thinks that way or if they, uh, if I just kind of approach things in a in a different way. But it's it's kind of neat. No, that's not. That sounds very cool. And and that's the great thing about our site, man. Is you know, we don't go to a lot of conventions. We go to maybe three or four a year. And um, every time we go to one, we we hear from you know users that stop by and it's like, oh, I love using your site, you know. And they and they and they tell us you know this cool way they're using the site that we've never heard of, never thought of. But it's just it's just great. So um, no, I, I appreciate you telling me. And that's uh, definitely something that we can consider, you know, can look at and. Um, Hopefully, some of your listeners can can think about doing that too. It might help them. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. And that makes me laugh when you talk about that because I was expecting to see you at TMEA this last year, and then you were up here in Minnesota. <laughs> you know, and I missed you here in Minnesota too. That, did we have a snowstorm or something going on? I can't remember what was going on when you were up here. It was. I think I think right before there was a snowstorm, um, but amazingly, it didn't. I, I, I guess I was a little sad, you know, uh, because we. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was expecting, you know, snow all the time up there. Um but but yeah, so it, it, it didn't snow. I mean there was snow on the ground of course. But um but yeah, it didn't snow while we were up there. I I, I was I just want to say I was amazed by the city. It's a beautiful city and um was was just blown away by the is it is it the Skyway, is that what it's called? Yeah, the the Minneapolis Skyways are all interconnected with these walkways so you really don't have to walk outside if if you're in that yeah. Oh my gosh, I was just I was just blown away by that. And we must have looked like the biggest tourists on the face of the earth when we first got there cuz we we got to the convention center and moved everything in. Then we're like, "Okay, let's walk to the hotel." So we um of course thought we had to go outside cuz we didn't know anything about the skyway. So we're walking outside and it looked like a ghost town. There was hardly any cars out and walking around. We're like, "What's going on?" And then finally we realized that, you know, there's all these tunnels connecting all the buildings and that's where everyone was. So um but yeah, so we quickly took advantage of that and and all the all the great food in the Skyway as well. So it was a it was a really neat town. We enjoyed it. Yeah, and we and my wife and I really enjoyed getting out of this area and it's San Antonio too. So you know, it's you can't complain when in the middle of winter, you know, going the opposite way either. And you, and well, you know, you get, <laughs> That's true, you get yeah. weather though too though in Richmond, don't you? At some level, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Every once in a while, we'll we'll get a bad winter, but uh, for the most part, it's it's not too bad. It's pretty mild. I wanted to ask a couple other questions before we wrap up. Um, with student accounts, uh, are how how is that run? I mean, do do teachers have to create accounts, or can they use a Google login, or or how does that work with Sight Reading Factory? So, um, <clears throat> so the way it works is the the teacher purchases the accounts for the students and they get a discounted rate. So so a site reading factory subscription is uh $35. It's 34.99 for for the teacher. Um student accounts are discounted by quantity. If you're getting more than 100, it's um it's $2 per student. If you're getting less than less than 100, it's it's literally a different quantity for every uh, it's 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 a different amount for for every quantity between 1 and 100 and you can just check out the pricing calculator on on our on our website. Um, so let's say the student purchases 100 student accounts. 
They pay you know 200 bucks for their students. They pay 34.99 for themselves, and um, and what they get is a student code, okay. And that student code is a it's a six digit code, numbers and letters, and um, and they they basically give that code out to their students, and the students go to a specific URL for students, sightreadingfactory.com/students. They they're prompted to enter a student code. They would enter their their teacher student code like ABC123. And then the student creates a profile, depending on their age. Um, you know, if they're under uh, 13, we can't ask an email, ad- uh, email address due to pro- student privacy law. So it's just a username, first, first name, last initial, and they create a password. And then, boom, they've created their uh, account on our site. And for students over 13, we do ask an email address, but that's only for password reset purposes because students typically have a hard time remembering passwords. Um, and um, uh, first, first, last name, password, uh, yeah, password, and then they're, um, and then they're in. Um, and then the teacher has full access, you know, to be able to access student login and credentials, you know, update it, change it, things like that. You know, if students can't remember their 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 information, um, so that's sort of a how you know how how student accounts work. You know, the teacher buys it for the students. They get a code, give it out to the students, and then the students redeem it and activate their account. Has has there been any discussion about trying to get a, a Google login for schools with the, the Google, you know, apps for education? Yeah. So you're talking about like a single sign-on type thing? Yep. Yeah, that is um, – <clears throat> we, we have had some requests from that, especially from some larger school districts actually. Um, I mean actually some some – Larger school districts will require it, even you know, if if they're if, if the software you know that they they want to work with. Um, so yeah, um, so that is something that we're considering as well as a uh, uh, you know kind of I guess in conjunction with that um, <clears throat> the LMS you know a Schoology Google Classroom things like that is a is a single sign on. So yeah, that's that's another thing we're considering. Yeah, we we have that double edged sword where not only do we have Google a single login, you know, for all of our because we're Google school, like many are becoming in the larger context of software, not hardware, but software. But then even our Schoology accounts are linked to that login as well. So they use the same one with the enterprise version. So anytime what I've found as a middle school teacher is that anytime you can eliminate an additional login, your life is just better. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think it would it would it would help us in a lot of ways. You know, having a, a Google sign on, or I know some websites do Facebook. That probably doesn't work with with students as well. But yeah, some sort of single sign on thing like that, where you don't have to remember another login. Another fun thing is, I don't know anybody else that's doing what you guys are doing with with Sight Reading Factory. You know, um, and which is pretty cool. There's obviously there are sight reading companies. Uh, Dale's methodology really isn't a competition. In fact, Dale even talks about the fact that um, he uses Sight Reading Factory with his eighth grade once he's done with with his own curriculum. I don't know if he's told you that or not. Yeah, yeah, he has actually. Yeah. Um, so you know that's kind of cool in 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 terms of that. So what I'm kind of curious is, do you ever get any pressure from any of the other, you know, companies? You may the Red Note, Green Note assessment things of people wanting to acquire Sight Reading Factory as a part of their program? Um, not yet. Um, I, I don't know if that's surprising or not, but yeah, not yet. Um, I, and I'm sure that other companies out there have, um, have, have heard of us, you know, uh, at this point, um, you know, cause you know, we started and we were, you know, pretty small. Um, and then 
I'd say really the last two years we've probably gained a lot of traction, and um, and I think we're almost becoming a, a household name, you know, in in, in a lot of classrooms and and, and school districts. Um, but I, th- at the same time, there's still a lot of people that don't know about us. You know, um, we don't do a lot of marketing. Um, uh, we don't necessarily have to. Uh, we've been very lucky with um, with just kind of. Um, uh, word of mouth, you know, very excited users talking about us and just passing the word, you know, on social networks and things like that. So we've been very lucky with that. And plus we're a real small team. It's basically, um, just Adam and I actually, we just hired a, um, uh, uh, a new, a new developer actually. So I guess there's three of us now, but yeah, we're a pretty small company. Um, so we don't have a lot of overhead. The site's pretty easy to maintain. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, so I guess the short answer to your question is not yet. Um, but, who knows? <laughs> you know, who knows what happens down the road? Because, man, with all sincerity, you know, with, with the parody that's happening out there with with uh, especially the embedded listening apps or the, you know, the programs like Smart Music and Practice First and, and some of the other ones, uh, apparently some some trademark or, or I can't remember, some, some licensing thing w- expired allowing other companies to enter that field because the smart music at one point i believe had had control of that that market legally and i think something one of the other people told me about it afterwards and it's like well that's why suddenly there's you know four different options for that so and then even i don't know if you've even paid attention smart music now has a if you do the new smart music it has a web editor with notation input in it so there's a blurring of a line there with the original finale, which, I mean, obviously is fully functioned. And then you've got NoteFlight that has, you know, it's a composition program, but it has its own way of submitting audio recordings that you could use for assessment and other things. So at some point, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody was knocking down your doors saying, hey, would you like to be a part of our larger, <laughs> you know, endeavor, which, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. No, yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree, and and it, it is funny. There, there, there do, does seem to be a lot of, as you said, blurring of lines between some of the companies, you know, um, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think you know, Sight Reading Factory would be a great addition to a product like Smart Music, you know, that's more, you know, that has the assessment component, but it's more content based. Uh, but I'm sure the folks that you know love Smart Music would love, you know, Sight Reading, you know. So, Sight reading factory to be able to have that unlimited, you know, uh, sight reading stream. So I think that'd be a good compliment there. And and even something like NoteFlight, you know, like an online notation editor, it'd be cool if, you know, they could just generate some sight reading right right in NoteFlight or something like. That. So I I definitely think there would be cool opportunities to 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 integrate with a lot of different companies out there. Yeah. Yeah, and even not being absorbed. I think the right word is integrate because I think. I think Soundtrap now can export into NoteFlight, and NoteFlight can export back into Soundtrap. There's some of that too, which is kind of interesting. And both companies are separate, you know. Um, and of course, NoteFlight is owned by Hal Leonard, and and now being run by John Malinsack, um, great guy. And then Soundtrap was just recently bought out by um, Spotify. Oh, that's right. Yes. I yes. You know, so there. I mean, even the companies. You know, Smart Music is owned by Peaksware, which actually makes training deals. But Peaksware also owns Alfred Music. The the whole, all the lines are being blurred today. You know, 
So it's kind of interesting. So it, it's been a pleasure to get to know you and a little bit. I, you know, we've run into each other at a couple conventions, and I, I originally couldn't get my mind wrapped around Sight Reading Factor and how I would use it, and and now it's become a integral part of what I do. So I, I don't. I'm just. I'm so glad it's there. I'm so glad that I was able to get past my original barriers of you know just having printed sight reading for kids to use and being stuck to that. And it just, I, I appreciate the fact that you came up with the idea. It, it just wonderful product. I mean, really is. And, and to anybody that's listening to this podcast, all four of you, just kidding. Um, you know, the four people that are listening, it really is. It's, it's something that it's not incredibly expensive. So if you're just using it as a teacher and projecting it, you can afford it. I mean, even if you have to pay for it out of your own pocket, the cost per student is, is low Although, I mean, you can make a case that at some point schools are going to get nickel and dimed out. You know, if you want a subscription to NoteFlight or Flat, you know, that's $2 or whatever per student, up to $5 per student. You know, $2 for this, $2. So you've got to be very careful in how you use your funds and still have money for, you know, repertoire. But, man, I think about, you know, as a tuba player, I would have loved to just be able to go from exercise to exercise to exercise just playing and the other thing is your algorithms make sense. What you're singing isn't just random music. It actually follows, you know, melodic ideas. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that that's one thing we put a lot of care into. You know, we didn't want, you know, kind of beep, 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 beep you know, music. You know, we wanted something that, you know, of course, it's not going to be Mozart or Mahler or anything like that. But it, I don't think it necessarily needs to be. I think it just needs to be something that makes sense. And is different every time. I'll tell you, if I ever do teach at the college level and I end up teaching, you know, ear training and sight singing, or we always called it, uh, what was it, ear ear hurting and sight screaming or whatever we called it um, <laughs> you know, um, at the time. But I would definitely, as a college professor, be using Sight Reading Factory. I, I would throw away the sight reading books, you know what I mean, completely in, in terms of what they made us buy and work for what I mean why why would you do that yeah you're right exactly even even for assessment like you said you know even for assessment do you have any colleges or universities that are on board with you we do actually yeah um yeah there, there there's quite a few actually and um yeah i was gonna say it's just the i think the the, the greatest thing about it is just it's just a big time saver i mean that's why that's why i kind of came up with the idea was because i wanted to do a lot of sight reading my, with my students and i was constantly passing out music and collecting it and filing it and passing out you know and it was just wasting so much time and that's and that's or you know writing it up on the board or whatever it's just it's just a huge time saver now did you when you went into this did you already see where smartphones were going um well, um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we knew apps were, you know, going to be going to be pretty, pretty big at the time. And, 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 and web apps, especially, you know, um, um, you know, kind of cloud based things. Um, so that's why we chose to do it, you know, in the browser and not, you know, not, you know, download native program or something like that. Um, and, we, and we definitely still have some work to do to make it more mobile friendly. And actually, that's a huge thing that we that we just started working on is a redesign of our music page and our and what we call the mixer, which is how you select all of your settings to to make that work much nicer on on small you know smartphones and things like that. Um, I mean, it, it works pretty well, but it could be a lot better. So um, we're actually we have a that's a huge release we're working on right now over the next few months, and and we hope to get that out before the new school year. 
Um, so yeah, um, but yeah, we had a, a pretty idea that 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 mobile was going to be important. You know, because I mean, I think about that. You started in 2011, you said, right? That's right. So you know, at that point, iPhone comes out. I think in two is it 2007 or 2008. I can't remember which. I can't remember either, yeah. But, you know, that that device changes the world, and you're really jumping into it then with this program not too long after. I mean, the iPad comes out in 2010, for example, right? It just, I mean, it's incredible insight and timing on your part. (laughs) You know what I mean? I might call it luck, but yeah. <laughs> no, the other question, and not not asking for your you know your your tax papers or anything, but are you are you able to earn a decent living doing this, or do you still find yourself having to do other jobs as a programmer? No, so and to, well, and to be clear, I'm not a programmer. That 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 right. That, I was yeah, about to say that. Yeah. He's like, well, not a programmer, <laughs> but owner of yeah. So, you know, so that's Adam's yeah. territory. But yeah, so um, so when we um when we first launched um. You know, we weren't making much at all. So Adam and I both had um, other jobs. You know, I was still teaching and he was still, um, you know, kind of freelance programming. Um, after about three years, um, Adam was able to go full time. He wasn't making, you know, great money, but, you know, he was able to go full time um, and you know, kind of stop all the side stuff. Um, shortly after that, I was able to go full time as well. Um, although I still did a little bit of teaching, and I, th- I want to say that was in maybe 2014 when that transition happened. By 2015, we were both full time, still not making great money, you know, but 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 able to get by. Um, and you know, and, and we've been doing, you know, each year has been getting better and better. So um, you know, we've had last two years have been have been pretty solid. We're definitely happy with 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 the growth and everything. And that's kind of why this year we were just able to to bring on another programmer. So so we definitely did the whole, you know, bootstrapping it, you know, from the beginning. We didn't get any sort of um, you know, startup funds or anything like that. We never got any sort of investment money. Um we just sort of it was all just kind of hard work and, you know, side jobs at first and then slowly it took off and we were able to put more time in as the as the site was able to pay us. Um, two other real quick questions for you, because I, I don't know how much time you've got actually before you've got to run. I'm good. Um, but um, first one was this: you go to conventions. Can you give people? I mean, and not being specific, so that people know when a company goes to present at a convention, what what that entails, not only in terms of your time being there and preparing to be there. But just loosely, how much it costs, just so people can understand that part. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. Um, we have to start planning those things well in advance. You know, we, we have to decide. It, it's, it's kind of strategic for us because we don't do a lot um, of, of conventions, and we and we try to hit states we haven't been to before, or states that maybe we don't feel you know we've you know you know use Sight Reading Factory enough, you know, by looking at data and things like that. So anyway, so we plan that almost like you know a year in advance of. Um, of when of when that that convention would start, mainly because you have to you know you know kind of book it with with the state convention and things like that. So that you know that 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 happens a long kind of a long ways out, um, and then um, you know and then you know of course there's the travel and the setup and how long you spend there and those things are those things are pretty tiring, actually, um, <clears throat> and then um, and then I would say you know the average cost for a convention is probably. Probably around twenty five hundred to thirty five hundred dollars um, for us, which I think is pretty cheap, because for some folks, 
um, it can definitely it can definitely cost cost a lot more. You know, if they're renting a lot more things, you know, and they're getting more booths. But typically, we just get one booth. Um, <clears throat> you know, and and we we bring our own stuff. We, we we invested a lot in like travel cases and things like that. But you know, I'd say typically it costs us you know twenty five hundred, thirty five hundred bucks. You know, with travel and and the booth expenses and all that. So. Um, you know, it's a fair amount of money. Um, it's not killer, but, um, you know, then again, our product's not real, real expensive. So who knows if we, if it's really technically worth it for us, but we do like going and, and meeting the current users and introducing it to new people and hopefully getting a session and be able to talk to about people in a session. I know one of my favorite parts is just getting to put faces behind the product. It's, you know, in a technical world where everything's, you know, digital, at some point, it's nice to get to know people that are behind it. I don't know know if that makes sense, but that's one of the things I like about this podcast is getting to know people and meet people that actually do these things. And also realizing how few people actually put together. So, you know, I bet you there are people that think Sight Reading Factory is this huge company. And there's, you know, there's three of you. Yeah. You know, and your wife when she helps out, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. So my wife, she's just a helper. You know, comes along to conventions when 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 Adam can't come or something like that. And um, I appreciate. She she's a musician though. She she's a choral director and she's fantastic musician and um, obviously knows a lot about the product because she hears me talk about it all the time. So she can she, she can really talk about it um, well. Now the other thing is gonna kind of just you 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 kind of led with kind of a a teaser that there's going to be a big update soon. Is there anything you want to say about that update? So, yeah, we have, um, um, uh, an update coming out hopefully this weekend, actually. Um, um, so, and, and, and that's going to allow you to do multiple select key and time signatures. That's not a huge update, but it's actually one of our most popular feature requests. So you'll be able to, instead of using just doing a single key signature or time signature select, or doing one of our random all or random suggested, you'll be able to kind of pick your own custom set of key or time signatures that you want it, that, that you'd like it to randomize. So if, so if you pick like, you know, two, four, three, four, and four, four, and C, F, and D major, when you generate the site reading, it'll randomly combine one of those things. And then when you generate another one, it'll randomize it again. So that's kind of a neat feature that people have requested. Um, now, now the, the big, real big feature I'm talking about is, um, is, a, is, is an update to our music page um, and our mixer, but mainly our music page. Um, so right now we have this, this kind of time practice mode and this regular practice mode, and you can't really combine some of the features um, and plus our music page isn't the greatest experience on mobile. It's, it's okay, but it's not the greatest. Um, so we have this, this update that we're working on now where you're going to kind of be able to, um, combine the modes, kind of use them together better, uh, but also have a more responsive music page where, you know, it, it just kind of naturally works better on different viewports. Like the, the music will automatically adjust and resize and things like that. Um, and and the, the the layout would just make a little bit more sense. Um, it's just going to be a much better experience on on the music page once once we get it done. We're we're still fleshing out those details right now, uh, but but our our goal is to have a nice a nice mixer and a nice music page out by the by the start of the new school year in the fall. Is there a way, by the way, Don, to lock in a tempo that most of your exercises would be in? Well, I mean, currently. Um, well, no, I guess I guess that's right. When you come back to it, 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 it defaults back to well, one hundred, and 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 that is one of the things, and and that is one of the things that that's going to be, 
um, in this update is we're talking we're, we're, we're talking about having um, sticky um, you know like a lot of those a lot of those settings are going to be sticky meaning that um, you know however you leave the site it's going to it's going to be kind of remembered to your account and you can come back on another device and all of those sites will be I mean all of those settings will be remembered so if you you know if you had the cursor enabled and disappearing measures enabled and you wanted your tempo at 84 or whatever all that will be remembered the next time you come back to the site yeah, my memory seems seems to think that word used to be persistent. I don't know if that's the right word or not. For some reason, that that, that that's a yeah, that's a that's a that's a good way to say yeah, it. Yeah, um, yeah, because that's one of the most frustrating things. Is I'll I'll go to start a exercise and then it's way 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 too fast. And I'm like, ah, no, I got to change it back down. And that's the one thing I always forget to do when I'm setting up an exercise. You know, so oh well, you know the. You know, we we can complain about the little minus, the little minor. You know, it's, it's is that truly compared to the technology we've had and the resources we had? Is is slowing down something from 100 to 72 that big of a deal? Probably no. But when well, but 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 still, those the, those little pain points. You know, those are things that we love to address. So we definitely want our users telling us. Um, and like I said, that, that is one that is going to be addressed in this in this um, feature. So um, yeah, be looking out for that um, by the uh, new new school year. And by the way, I do apologize for all the emails that I send you with like, oh yeah, and point one, point two, you know, sorry about those, but please, no, like I said, keep them coming. And if you know, if if or if there are any current Cyber Factor users out there listening, please um, let us know if there's something that that's that that you'd like to see that we don't have or that's bothering you because we definitely listen to our users. I mean that that's what that's what drives these features. Hey, that is a great transition too. By the way, Don, do you want to talk about how people can find Site Reading Factory? Sure, yeah, the website is sightreadingfactory.com. Um, go there, check it out. There's a free demo if you don't have an account. Um, you can just click the site read link at the top and mess around in the mixer, you know, pick pick a ensemble or solo instrument or voice type and generate some sight reading. Uh, there's, there's a free demo. You can gen- generate up to 20 exercises. Um, if, if that's not enough and you still want a trial to mess around with, just um, contact us. There's a contact link on, on the top of the um, on, on the navigation bar. Send, send me an email. Um, I read them all and um, and say, hey, I want a little trial account. I'd be happy to set you up with one. Is there anything else you'd like to say about Site Reading Factory before we head out? I don't think so, man, other than uh, I I appreciate you having me on the program. Uh, I love love talking about the product. I'm very excited about it. And, um, you know, if anyone out there is looking for a, a way to sight read with your students, you got to check it out. It, it's great. Uh, but, but I appreciate you, Chris, and uh, thanks for having me on your program. <laughs> hey, we appreciate having you too. I know what you mean. Even though Paul's not with us anymore, um, well, he's with us, but he's not with us, if you know what I mean. Um, but he, <laughs> he, we we definitely appreciate having you on, and and I didn't even know that Paul was using it, so I'm I'm kind of that's that's encouraging to know that Paul's been playing around with Site Reading Factory too. So, well, thanks, Don, for your time, and again to everybody, this is the Music Education Technology Podcast. But uh, we've been away for a while, and uh, we're, we're not done. It's just we've both been very busy with school. So, Don, thanks for your time. And uh, to everybody else, thanks for listening. And keep listening for the next edition of the podcast when it comes out. Mm-hmm.